Well, I uh, am excited to share with you guys from God's Word this morning, and if you haven't been here for a bit, we're working through this series and addressing these different letters written to seven different churches found in Revelations 2 and 3, and some of the words that we've heard, especially even last week, have been some pretty stern rebukes, some challenges to the churches. This week, you landed on a good Sunday because it's a week of encouragement. And so if I were to say anything that defines this letter and it's written to the church in Philadelphia, encouragement would be found there. And for me, it's a personally uh, a letter that I like to read because I was born in 1973 in the city of Philadelphia. So excited to dive into that and thinking through the encouragement idea. I like the descriptor that Martin Luther says that encouragement is speaking courage into someone. Speaking courage into someone. It's oxygen to the soul. I was reading a statistic that a weightlifter on average can lift 5% more weight when being encouraged. Isn't that crazy? So if you're insecure about what you can lift at the gym, you can just say, well, I don't have my encouragement team here. So encouragement's a, a big deal in the, the life of everyone, hearing refreshing words of someone speaking. And I know when you're around somebody that has that gift, it's a real blessing Last week, we got to see this lived out on our church because we got to see some encouragement for people through baptism that were making and professing their commitment to Jesus Christ. We went down last week and uh, got to celebrate that and encourage a bunch of people. We have a little highlight video I wanted to show you from that experience. Was uh, especially fun for uh, my wife and I. You may have noticed the last one there was Adrian and I, Duncan Chase, and just celebrating with him his pronouncing his commitment to Jesus Christ. And for 20 other, or actually 19 others as well, it was a big deal. We had a chance afterwards. We went out to dinner with my wife's family that was in town to kind of celebrate and, and honor them. And it was fun. We had Chase sit in one particular chair, and each person and around the table took. Actually, it was back at our our house, took a, a turn just going through things that they saw in Chase's life, encouraging him, speaking words of, of truth and encouragement. You should have seen him. Like, he was just glowing. I forever have that, that memory etched in my mind. So hopefully you guys are encouraged by that last week, and we were as a church, I know. But this letter to the 
church in Philadelphia is exactly that, just focusing. That there, there's literally, he doesn't point out, which is unique, anything that needs adjusted, but all words of encouragement. Maybe some of us this morning could use some of that ourselves. Let me pray before we dive in. God, thank you so much for this text and just this picture of, of you and the church and how you watch and observe everything. And I thank you that you're not the God who only points out things that need to be worked on. You also celebrate things when we get them right. Pray that you would speak to us through this text that we may make adjustments even in our life because we want to be on that same receiving end of the blessing that he speaks of. Pray that you'd open our eyes, that you'd just push away any distractions, that you'd be here present and moving and working in each of our hearts and lives. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. If you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bible, uh, it's a lot easier to walk through this if we're looking at the same thing together. We're in Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13, specifically writing to the church in Philadelphia. It says this, and to the church of the, I'm sorry, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Pretty cool intro there. Start with uh, what I've done in the previous messages, just a little backdrop about Philadelphia. It's actually the, the youngest of the seven cities that are written here. It's located uh, kind of a unique setup where it's a valley that was kind of the valley in between a really big valley and a huge plateau of land. So it was a pathway, if you will, between a, a lower area and a higher area. And it was kind of, everybody had to go through that stretched. So it was kind of a, a central point, actually, where three major cities met. And it wasn't just by accident. It was placed there. It was placed by this King Eumenes of Pergamum. And he placed it there with the direct intention of introducing Greek culture into the surrounding cities there, if that makes sense. The fun thing, though, is Pergamus, uh, I'm sorry, Eumenes of Pergamum uh, was making the city. He originally built it for his brother, Attalus. And so his brother, and thus the reason we have Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. So there's a little interesting backdrop there. So made for his brother... One negative part of living there, kind of like uh, living in our region, was the fear of earthquakes. They had major earthquakes, and in fact, in 17 AD, the city itself was nearly destroyed with a major earthquake, but because of his kindness, the Roman emperor Tiberius decided to excuse them for taxes for a season so they could rebuild their city, and thus only enhancing what was already an issue there was worship of, uh, worship of the emperor. And so it's interesting, those that have kind of explored the remains of the city, one of the inscriptions that they found outside of one of these temples known for the wor worship of Tiberius is it was described in this inscription as the son of the Holy One. Tiberius, the son of the Holy One. Now that brings to light what we see as Jesus as he's introducing himself, what does he say? The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. In other words, not the imposter that lived a certain amount of years and is now gone. He introduces himself as the one and only. I love that he uses the Holy One. It's not a Holy One. It's the absolute claim to that title of deity, the fact that he's set apart 
this is a, and all the other descriptions at the beginning of the letters, they're all referring to what's already been said in chapter uh, 1 of Revelation, but this is the first time a new introduction. I wonder if he crafted that directly for this audience. Well, I imagine he did, but pointing out the fact that he's the true one. I don't know if you've been burnt before by getting something that was a, a fake or an imposter with a purchase. I was thinking about that this last week. My wife and I, some years back, were in China, and they had all of, all of these CDs and DVDs for like a buck or two, like new release movies, everything. And we're like, man, this is great. This is awesome. Like a dollar for Nemo. And uh, so, in, in fact, we, we came back and we didn't get a chance to see them there. We popped them in the DVD player and there's somebody in the theater with a shaky hand. Anybody been burned by that before? Shaky hand watching the movie. So that was, sorry, those of you that are industry for me breaking the laws there. But here the idea is the fake thing, the, 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 he's like, that, that will expose itself ultimately, and the real one will be brought to light. He says, says this, who has the key of David? I don't know, sometimes when I read through these texts, I'm like, well, what in the world does that mean? And thankfully, I got to spend a little bit longer than you have uh, this week on that. Looking into it, Isaiah 22, 22 paints this picture. It's talking about Elohim who was the steward for the king of Israel at that time. Look at the description. It says, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Explanation there. Basically, he was the steward of the king. In order for someone to go in to see the king at that time, he needed someone with a key that would unlock the door, and this steward was basically the, the checkpoint to say, hey, some people go in, some people don't. If he opens it, you're in. If he doesn't open it, you're not. And the cool thing about that picture is what is the text saying? Who's speaking here? Jesus is saying, I'm the one that opens the door or shuts the door. I'm the only one holding the key. There's no other access to the king other than me. Why is that such a big deal? Because we're in a world that says, oh yeah, there's lots of paths or ways to get to God. But no, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying there, there's only one who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This is a reoccurring theme in scripture. It's not just a one-time mention of it. Think about how often we hear that pointed to. And you think about the miserable moment when many come to realize that the person they've resisted, mocked, and rejected ultimately is the only one that holds the key. John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus speaking. Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is a big deal for each one of us to grasp. There's one way, there's only one route to God, and he reiterates it in our text this morning who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Jesus is the only door opener. Continues now with addressing the audience. He says, I know your works, 
Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Interesting, when you get to know someone a little bit more closely, a little more deeply, you start to realize things that are a really big deal to that person and things that aren't such a big deal. My wife, I've learned over the years some things that are a big deal to her, things that aren't. I'll share one with you this morning just for the sake of transparency. One thing that's a really big deal, if you ever go driving with my wife, she does not like the use of car horns. If someone's in the way, you just wait patiently. You don't give them a beep. Like, what are you doing? Beeping at them. That's rude. She does not like the, whereas I see it as just like a tool in traffic to help kind of move things along. She thinks very differently. Anybody have this uh, conversation in your marriage? And, uh, and, so, and so I've learned over the years, this is a big deal. I don't use the horn as a resource with my wife. And so for you, I don't know what that is in your life, what that is that you've come to that you've realized, hey, this, is a, this is a really big deal to them. Well, here with this somewhat indirect connection, I don't know if that worked, but uh, the idea here is Jesus Christ, the thing, if you watch him, that's the biggest deal, like out of anything, his church is a huge deal to him. Such a huge deal. We see as a running theme, what do we keep seeing it said? Every single one of these sections, I know your works. I know your works. Such a big deal that he's literally watching his church and assessing their behavior. Some people, that might be a hard thing to swallow. What do you, like, not only is he just watching, he's grading us based on our behavior. Like, wait a second, that's kind of concerning. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. For those of us that, that are following the Lord and, 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 and serving him, this is like, hey, this is great news. For some of us, you're, you don't have to wonder. Or you're like, hey, I, I wonder if God notices that I'm serving each week faithfully in Wana. Yeah, he, he does. He does notice that. I wonder if he, he notices that I stayed late after church and cleaned the kitchen. Yeah, he does because this is a big deal to him. This is what he watches, observes, and even assesses based on how we're doing as a church. This is a wonderful thing for us to be reminded of. And for those of us that are like, yeah, I don't know if I'm doing real great. It's a, it's a great pause to reassess. Hey, how am, I, how am I prioritizing my time? How am I utilizing it? Am I, am I using my gifts to serve his church? Here he celebrates them. He doesn't point out anything negative. I imagine they're like any church. They're not a perfect church. But what he chooses, nothing negative worth discussing. It's like a report card of sorts. That's kind of fun in our, our family. We were real encouraged this last spring. Our, our, our three kids had a good report. And uh, you know, report card day, everybody's a little nervous to open them up. What's going to be said? Well, Alexa, I'm going to just take a second and brag on Alexa. Is that okay for us? So here, listen to what her, her teacher had to say. It's easier for me. He says, Alexa is a wonderful student and a teacher's dream. She is quick to understand and follow directions. She always does her best work and is so kind and helpful to others. Everyone is her friend, and she is supportive to those in need. What more could a teacher or parent ask for? Woo! 
We have enjoyed being her teachers this year, and we wish we could have a classroom full of students like her. She goes on at the end, we will miss this beautiful young lady who is a joy to teach. I was like, man, that's awesome. Like, I wish I got a report card like that. Like, that's, that's fantastic. It looks real different than mine did at that age. And, uh, but but here, here's the point. I'm sure Alexa did some dumb stuff in class. I'm sure there's times that she didn't always nail it, that she didn't get the right thing, she didn't have the right answer, but the overall judgment was like, man, you're doing great, because obviously some of the things that they elevated as a big deal, she must have caught on to that. She must have caught on to that. You see, see here we start to see from Jesus what he elevates as a big deal. We should catch on to it. It says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You have kept my word and have not denied my, my, my name. In other words, you've lived a life in alignment with the parameters that I've said are best for you. You've aligned your life with that. And you haven't denied me. And sometimes you can read that and be like, well, yeah, of course I haven't denied him. But it's interesting if you take that a little bit further, how we can deny him with both our words and our actions. Things that we say, but also things that we don't say, times when we remain silent. So he was celebrating with them. Man, you've done great to, to hold to my word. You've done great to, to not deny me. And he describes them, he says, he says, I know that you have but little power. To me, as a, a small little church in a, tucked in an uh, old agora, to me, I was like, man, this is encouraging, man. He's not going to the, the mega church and saying great job. He found this little community of believers and said, you're doing great. You're nailing it. You're doing awesome. And that's my prayer. I would love for him to look at our little church and be like, guys, nice work. You're being faithful to my word and you haven't denied my name. Look what the promise that he has right out of the gates for that person that doesn't deny him and holds to to his name. says, I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. In other words, as we've already discussed, they have access to the king that no one can take away. Their salvation is secure. Anyone that's in Jesus Christ, he's like, man, I've got the, the door swung wide open and there's no adjusting. So we might be graded for our actions for reward, but our security is ultimately in the key holder. Report card. Next idea I wanted to point out, verse 9, as he's really trying to continue and encourage this little church that's been under a lot of opposition. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. This picture here, first off, he says, describes this group of people that they say there are Jews and they're not. He calls them liars. First, literally to Jews by blood, but not in the family of God because they've rejected Jesus Christ. We've talked about that in our series in Romans, Romans 9, 6 through 8, describes that person, a person that may be by blood Jewish, but if they haven't embraced Jesus Christ, they're not a true Jew. 
as he describes here. And he's not really very politically correct. I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know how to read this other than the fact that he calls them from the synagogue of what? Does your text say? Synagogue of Satan. You've referred to him the same way back in the church of Smyrna, if you remember, basically saying those who oppose you I'm describing them as they're, if you're not in Jesus' kingdom, if you're not a part of his synagogue, there's only one other option, and he points it out there. But here's the, the part that's interesting to me, is he's talking about the primary people that are opposing them. And if you're like me at all, one of the big struggles in life is when somebody opposes you, you want to take things into your own hands. Anybody else struggle with this? When someone opposes you, our natural reaction is like, man, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to solve this. But the thing that's so assuring to this little church in Philadelphia, he's like, no, I've got this. In fact, what am I going to do? I'm going to make them come and bow down before your feet and they'll learn that I have loved you. Whew! Like, are you serious? That's what he's saying for opposers of Christ. And so when you're like, oh man, I need to defend him, I need to fight, and you're like, he's like, no, I've got this. I've got this. We think so often of every knee will bow and tongue confess at Jesus, but man, he tells us that, man, those opposing us are going to literally bow, and what does it say? They've, they're going to learn that I loved you. There's going to be a point. Learn tells you that they didn't have knowledge, and now they have this knowledge. There's going to be a point. That every one of us, the world is going to be exposed to the fact that we weren't crazy. We weren't this crazy Christ follower. They're going to figure out, oh, wait a second. He was right. He was right. What, what's going on here? I was watching on TV, and I'm not a, a huge uh, fan of debate. You know how you have these different debates between an atheist and a Christian, and they're going to just outdo each other with information. I'm not a big fan of that because I don't really see a lot of people on the other end of that coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. Uh, but in this debate, I found it interesting. The, the pastor at the end, they'd kind of come to this impasse where they're like, well, you think this, I think this. And the pastor said something interesting. He said, well, why don't we both at some point in the future die and we'll find out who was right? <laughs> I was like, huh, kind of a kind of a good kind of a good point there because really isn't that how this all plays out i've still looked death rate still 100 percent like uh and, and so and so we're, we're we're all going to and we're going to find out who was right and what does he say here he says i'm the key holder you're going to find out that he was right and i was loved by me it's a pr- pretty powerful picture there he goes on to encourage them more and I and I love how many things he just pours out for the overcomer. He says, I'll keep you from the hour of trial. When you first read that, you're like, Oh, it must be just specific to this church in Philadelphia. They're gonna deal with uh, some trial and he's gonna help protect him from that. But what does it what does it say? I'll keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now think about that. That's a little broader scope than just Philadelphia, this little church there in this, this valley. He's talking about some kind of future trial that's going to come. And most theologians, as I was exploring a number of def- different commentaries, most agree, agree he's referring to what's spoken about coming up real soon in the book of Revelation. 
is the trial that the entire planet is going to experience in the seven years of judgment described in Revelation. If you've heard this before, if you've spent any time in the book of Revelation, a lot of people break that down and you kind of have uh, some people that believe that Christ's return is at the beginning of those seven years. Some believe that in the middle of those seven years. Have you heard this? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, the end of those seven, seven years. But either way, there's seven years where things get pretty intense on planet Earth. In fact, if you spend any time reading further in Revelation, you'll see those first three and a half years of that, of that tribulation, you've got natural disasters start to amplify. The earth's groaning and things start to get worse and worse. Second half of those three and a half years, things get crazy. Things get. I'm just going to say it just directly here. It, it talks about God's opening up his bowl of judgment on mankind. And literally in those three and a half years, you have kind of a picture of like Egypt. You know what the plagues when things get really bad? Only imagine that worse. Literally where a third of the planet dies. You're like, what would the, like I, I looked at the count on the planet. That's, that's a lot of people. So basically he's pointing out saying that the judgment that's coming on the entire earth, you get to skip that. And we already know because it hasn't come that he was true to that promise, that they did skip that. And for those of us that, that are still here and alive, and you're like, well, I don't like the idea that that's still on the calendar some, at some point. The encouraging piece there is to me reading that, it seems like a pretty overarching promise. And in fact, a lot of people that cling to a, a, a pre-trib belief that Jesus Christ comes and takes believers away, believe that this is pointing to the fact that we get to skip that. We'll see how that plays out, obviously. But either way, the big idea, he's saying, listen, I'm going to protect you as a believer. And I'd say that that's a, a, a promise that we can cling to regardless of being in the church of Philadelphia or the church of Agora Hills, that God's hand of protection is on those of us who follow him. Those who us are committed to him. Those who us who stay the course. He gives one last word of encouragement there. He says, hold fast to what you have. In other words, stay the course Crowns and rewards are coming. This was the word of encouragement to this church in Philadelphia. He expands a little bit on this last section, last two verses. And you'll see kind of a funny title here that I've put, Tattoos in Heaven. Let's see if you see it in the text. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God in the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's start before we talk about tattoos for a second. The first thing that it points out is he describes one who conquers. This is a running theme so through, throughout this entire uh, study that we've done. You've seen it with each of the letters. There's kind of a, a, a challenge to them, but then says, hey, but if you stay the course, the one that conquers, what does he promise there? That they'll never be removed from their place of preeminence. What does he describe? He says, you'll be a pillar in the temple of my God. This picture of a pillar, I don't know if anybody watches any of these house fix-it-up shows, and they, they're always, this is always the crossroads that they come to. They get behind the wall and they're like, oh, we didn't know that this support beam was there. Whatever are we going to do? Does anybody watch these shows? 
And, and, and I'm like, how are you always like surprised by that? I'm pretty sure based on construction that there's a way you can find out before you take out a wall if there's a pillar there. But anyway, it's, it's a side point there, tangent. But the point, the big idea is every one of those house shows, they know that, what are you counting on? You, you need this big pillar because that's the one thing that can't change. You got to build around it. It's the one stable thing. Now think about this for a second. To a group of people that are sitting in constant fear of what? Earthquakes, probably a good word to hear. If you're constantly, oh, I just felt that little tremor again. Whoa, I, I remember my grandfather. He was back in the, in the big earthquake back 20 years ago. Like you, you think about these people. I love how his message is so personal. His message is exactly what they needed to hear. You're going to be part of the pillar in my temple that is unmovable, unmovable. Find it ironic. You can still visit this location of this uh, of Philadelphia in uh, present-day Turkey. The interesting thing I was reading this, I, I caught my attention that really they're describing really the only thing that's still standing there is some of these beams of this t- original temple. I thought it was fascinating. I I don't know if the, if God just gets a kick out of doing stuff like that. He's like just just saying, hey, the the one thing that doesn't move is the support beams. The one thing that's the constant, that's unchanging. And that's what he promises to those of us who conquer. He says, you'll never shall go out of it. Never shall go out of it. What were they known for? They were known for setting up camp and moving outside of the city because of fear. He said, no, no, this this is going to be unchanging for you. So here's the, the interesting piece that I was pointing out in the title. Says, all I can do is read it for you guys. Never shall he go out from it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down for my God out of heaven and my own new name. So this might be a challenge for some of us to swallow because some of us are anti-tattoo and stuff. But, but my, my, my best friend, Joe, I've mentioned before, was here visiting this last weekend. Here's a picture of Joe. He's super excited about this section of scripture. <laughs> He's really jazzed about that. And, uh, and we came down, we went to the, the Cubs-Dodgers game on Friday. Uh, who won that? And, uh, and then, um, and then uh, so, so he was here, and we were just talking about this while he's here. He's like, see, there is going to be ink in heaven. There's going to be ink in heaven. And so he's like, I'm just getting a head start on things. One of the, one of the highlights uh, for him was he was on uh, this uh, uh, L.A. Inc. show, if you've heard of that, with uh, Kat Von something, Von D. And, uh, and uh, it's funny because the picture is a tattoo that she didn't do. But anyway, that's cool. Uh, but, but it's pretty jazzed about that because anybody that does the tattoo thing, I've heard it's addictive, I don't have any. Uh, anybody that does knows that everything hinges on what artist you choose, Right? And so there's like a lineup, like you can't get in to see this, this particular lady because she's super talented for a really long time unless you're on one of these shows. And, and so anyway, it's a, it's a big deal. Does that make sense? You want to choose your artist wisely. But here's the cool thing about this text. Who is it saying is doing our new ink? Who's doing our new ink? Who, who's in there? It's, this, this is Jesus speaking. He's saying, I'm going to write on you. 
I'm gonna, I, I don't know, maybe that's figurative language. You guys can debate that over lunch. Uh, that's a good conversation. I think he's going to legit do some tattoos. And what's, what, what's happening there is it's not just one name. It's three names. So, I mean, we're going to have sleeves. Like, it's not just going to be a partial thing. <laughs> this, this is serious. I joke about this a little bit for fun, but here's the awesome idea and picture that this is. That the kind of intimacy that we're going to have with literally Jesus himself, whether he's writing that on our hearts, which some people might interpret, whether he's literally writing that on us, either way he's saying, I'm stamping you with my name because you're my kids. I'm going to put my name, God's name, the new kingdom that you're a part of ruling, I'm putting it all on there because you're mine. That's for those that overcome. That's what we have to hold on to. It's not going to be just us up there playing harps board. There's going to be some cool stuff going on in heaven. Some awesome things to look forward to. I was thinking about this and uh, really I was like, man, well, did they overcome? Whatever happened to this church in Philadelphia, whatever, whatever transpired, I was reading a little bit uh, from a number of different uh, kind of historical documents on this. That church in Philadelphia existed for the next 1,200 years, 1,200 years. We're getting close to 50 as a church here. Like, that's pretty cool. 1,200 years this church kept on going. They kept on going. God kept blessing them and continuing to use them as an open door to their community, to their place that they were at. It was an awesome thing. I was reading about how it all played out in 1342 in Turkey the, the Muslims that were, who accomplished taking over areas by military force, Philadelphia was the very last city of defense before they were taken over. And guess what? And so, church history says that that group of believers was literally the very last to stand firm and were finally all taken by sword. But you know what? Every single one of them got to cling to this. They said, man, I read this. I, I know the end of the story. I know how this plays out. I already know that the door is wide open for me. I already know that my crowns are, are secure. I already know that one day my enemies are going to bow before me. Man, I'm invincible, says the man or woman or child in the church of Philadelphia, says the man, woman, or child in the church of Agora Hills that's faithful. Pretty awesome thing to hold to. Had this last image, and maybe this is a, a silly one, but man, I, this picture of Philadelphia, I grew up with this movie as a big deal in my life. We'll see if this scene kind of captures what I think that church in Turkey was feeling while they're being read this letter.
I don't know which is more cheesy, our serving spotlight soundbite or that, but either way. If I had known how many times we were going to get that, <laughs> I would have invested more than an hour. <laughs> but either way, you get, get, you get the picture of what Christ is pointing to here. Man, it is so worth it. If you're wondering, is it worth it to stay the course? Is it worth it to chase after him? The answer is absolutely. Let me pray for us and we'll end with this song. God, thank you so much for this chance to be encouraged along with the church in Philadelphia. God, I pray for some of us that maybe need a few tweaks in order to align ourselves to be a little bit more Philadelphia-like. Do a work on us, God. Thank you for your patience that it's not based on us with any key opening any door. It's all about you, all the work that you did, Jesus Christ, on the cross, on our behalf. Oh, we're able to look forward to some of these things. The key to open the door that only you can open. We praise you for that as our King, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. one little thing that's unrelated to this message. So we created these little magnets. And I was talking to my neighbor the other day who doesn't come here, and he was like, man, I see those everywhere I look around this town. I'd love to have even more of that. It has our website on it, easy invite for people. But here's the thing. It's not a magnet designed for your refrigerator. It's designed for your cars. And so if you guys want to grab one of these as you're leaving today, just as a way to reach out to our community, that would be awesome. Have a wonderful week. This one's for you, John. God bless you.